Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Uh, continue Enjoy. on. My, my message from last week, I was speaking about the statement, I just want to be happy. We are in a, a season over these couple of months where we're talking about the elephants in the room, these statements that we don't often talk about. And listen, today I feel like uh, today's a bit of a, a message and a concept that maybe even for you feels like pulling a Band-Aid off and it may hurt a little bit. And for that, I do apologise, but I feel like God wants to speak to some people, heal some people and do work in some people's lives here today. Last week, I started looking at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and King Solomon was searching this concept of, I just want to be happy. And we came to the realisation that we don't get happy by trying to make ourselves happy. We looked at the difference between joy that is a fruit of the Spirit, that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's, it's a thing that happens internally against happiness that is fickle. You will notice that happiness is fickle. One minute I'm happy, the next minute I'm not happy. Listen, I know some of us in the room can go from one to a hundred in happiness and sadness in, in seconds. Listen, I know some of you. Don't try and hide your little church-looking wonderfulness today. I know who you are. I know the smile can turn to a frown really quickly. This is the reality, the fickleness of being happy. And, and Solomon searches this concept. And he says this, I tried to find happiness in alcohol. We had a bit of a chuckle last week about what he says because 3,000 years ago, he interpreted what was happening in the streets of Brisbane City last night as people were walking in and out of nightclubs having their drinks. And he says, I tried to uh, go through and find happiness in alcohol. Listen, he says, I tried to maintain wisdom, but I just grasped at foolishness. I grasped at it in my alcohol. And he said, listen, I tried it for the only happiness some people will ever find. Every time I read that scripture, it breaks my heart to think of the reality of that. Again, he wrote these words 3,000 years ago, not watching people come in and out of nightclubs last night. He didn't just do it there. He wrote them, and this is a reality for people's challenge. He goes on and says, I, I tried to attain wealth. I worked hard. I looked for all of the gold and the silver and all of those things. And all of them, he says, were like grasping at the wind. He said, there were moments of fickle happiness that disappeared. We looked at the fact that you can't find happiness in searching out happiness. We continue today by looking further in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to jump to right at the end of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 12. If you have a Bible, you can open. If not, I believe we have it ready to come up on the screen. He makes this statement. He says, let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. As I've gone through looking at everything, trying things, searching out happiness, let us find and hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, this is what man is made for, to fear God and to keep his commandments. This is man's all, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Listen, I want to break this down for a little bit today because this statement of fear God is a statement that we can often misunderstand and can be very well misrepresented in the reality of what the writer was trying to say here. This word fear is back in the ancient Hebrew word of your ray. This word has a multiplicity of meanings because it speaks about not a small God. Listen, we don't serve a little God that is controlled in our lives. 
Listen, I look around the room at people that like to be in control. I want to be real clear as I start this message. You can't control your God. He's always bigger than what we understand and what we walk through in our lives. This word of fearing God has a multiplicity of meanings. The first simple picture of it is this fear or this reverence of the Yahweh God that they first talked about and understood there in ancient Hebrew. That word Yahweh is a, a word that was unable to be said and you didn't utter that word out of this great fear and reverence for a God that spoke the world and the universe into existence. This is the beginning of fear that he's talking about right here. The realisation that we serve a great big God. We serve a God that speaks into existence our world. We serve a God, listen, that can fix and heal the problems and the disasters that are in your life right now. We serve a great big God, a God that is able to heal, deliver, a God that's able to transform, but also a God that is holy, a God that is pure, a God that imputes righteousness through Christ into our lives and the power of what He does in His transforming ability in our lives, this is the God that we talk about. And this word talks of this reverence and this awe of this great God that we serve. Listen, I, I feel like it would not be a bad thing for a fresh reverence and awe of our God to come over our lives. We serve a huge God, a great God. Charles Bridges says this, But what is this fear of the Lord? It is the affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. I love what he says there. Humbly and carefully bend it as a child to the father's law. That brings me to another part of what that fear talks about. That word fear there, that, that Yahweh, also talks about this fear that brings like an honouring to your parents, that leads to obedience. Listen, I'm in this room today as a 47-year-old man with a father that is also sitting on the front row that is my, my dad. And this is the dad that, you know, disciplined me a few times in my youth. I am grateful for my dad. Do we get that image? Can we just quickly throw that image up? It's one of my favourites. I was spanked as a child. As a result, I now have the psychological condition known as respect for others. I, I, I love. Can I have an amen from somebody that has the same psychological condition? Imputed by our parents' direction into our lives. And it's a wonderful thing. I have a wonderful, wonderful father that has directed my life many, many times. I still stand here as a 47-year-old a man, still directed by my, not that, so much that way by my dad, but still directed by his words that are into my life. Listen, there is an aspect of this fear of God that leads us as people interacting with Father God. That honouring of Father God. That honouring of Father God that directs us. And listen, he says, this is man's all, to fear God and to keep His commandments. Because as my father had some direction for me, which I kept because if I didn't, I'd be redirected and had honour that came with that fear of my father. Anyone have a mum that they didn't fear the smacking of? 
my mum would, uh, would give us a smack sometimes. And I'd be like, oh, that taught me, mum. Wow, so painful. But then she did teach me because she said, well, you wait till your father gets home and he gives you another one. Ooh, 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 late sting, mum. Here it comes. Ooh, ooh, there it is. No, no, I don't need dad. The late stings hit me right now. You know, anyone like that with your mum and yeah, dad's sting was a little bit greater than mum's. But that fear of God that leads to obedience. This fear of God that brings direction comes from a father that guides us and leads us. And, and listen, some of us don't like being guided and led. I look around the room, there's some of us that like to make our own decisions, like to do our own thing and, and like to really just obey ourselves. I, I look around the room, there's some of us that are stubborn here in the room. But, but I think of this direction that he says, that fear of God that leads to, to obedience is like, you know, if you're on a boat that's sinking and somebody's saying, get down here and hop into a life jacket and then get into the, the, the lifeboat and directing you to safety. You know, there's the other people that are like, no, I'm just doing my own thing. They drown. I don't know if you noticed. The ones that listen and are led to safety are the ones that don't. This, this is what we see here, that fear of God that leads us to a place of obedience. But we have a generation that struggles with obedience. We have a generation that struggles with direction. They certainly struggle with God's direction. I'm not just talking outside of the church. I'm talking even in the church. I know as believers, sometimes we struggle with God's direction and we grapple with His Word and we grapple with the belief that His Word is the ultimate direction for our lives. I know some believers that try and twist what God's Word has said and said, listen, it doesn't fit our culture today. It doesn't fit what our belief system of the, of the world around us is today and try and shift God's direction for our lives. I want to be real clear. Culture may have shifted, but the Word of God hasn't. Culture may have shifted, but truth hasn't. Culture may have shifted and changed, it, changed, changed, but God hasn't changed what He has said to our world and our lives today. But we have a generation that struggles with that. Listen, they struggle with that because at times they misunderstand God's intention for His direction. They misunderstand God's intention for what He's trying to say into our lives. And, and this is real. This is something that is really real to us today. We have a generation that's been told, if somebody redirects you, they're judging you. This is a truth to our generation. Listen, this is, this is the moment for elephants in the room. I want to talk about the reality, grassroots. This is what our generation is continually told. If somebody disagrees with you, they're judging you. Listen, I want to be really clear. There are many times in our lives that God has disagreed with our actions and our living without bringing judgment upon it. If you don't believe me, let's open the Bible to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him shall not die, but have everlasting life. What does He say in verse 17? We know 16 well. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. 
Does that mean, oh, Jesus, your grace is enough. I can do whatever I want, live however I want, act however I want. Listen, the beauty of His grace is this. His grace has come to wash away your past, to bring you to a point, if you don't know Christ today, to bring you to a point today where He takes your past. He removes it at the cross. He removes it through His grace. But listen, His grace now comes and walks to set us free of our past, to set us free of our brokenness, to set us free of our sin, to set us free of that mess, not just forgiven, to set free and change and transform. But He judges me. He judges me. This is the great challenge of a generation that tries to bring the reality that truth now is however I want it to be, however I feel it is. Listen, I went to school a long, long, long time ago. And and I'm not standing here as a point of judgment. I'm standing here with the reality that Jesus Christ has redeemed a broken, fallen, lost Tim McDonald. And I only hold this microphone in the hand because of the beautiful grace that's in Christ. Not because I'm right, He's right, and His righteousness has imputed in my life and taken my mess and continually bringing wholeness to it, continually bringing truth to it. And I stand here with the reality that, again, I wasn't at school very recently. It was a long time ago. When I was at school, one plus one equaled two. Some of you were like a little stunned. You were at school even longer than me. I get that a long time ago. But one plus one equals two. But we've risen now in a generation that says this, I believe one plus one equals 63. And how dare you tell me it equals two? How dare you say that and judge me, saying that one plus one doesn't equal 63. You hate me by telling me one plus one equals two. Listen, I, again, I don't want to stand here and spend too much long, um, too much time in this, but I want to spend, stand here and talk about the reality. The truth is truth. If I take one person and I stand her up, and I take another one person and I stand her up, I've got two people standing up. It's not 63. It's two. I don't care how you count. Still two. I don't care if you count one, two, miss a few, 99, 63. I don't care. It's two. And truth is truth. Listen, I stand here by saying truth is truth with the reality of this. Truth is truth because there's a lifeboat that truth needs to direct us to. And it needs to direct us. And again, I don't stand here perfect other than the fact of God's beautiful grace on my life. But I stand here with the truth that Jesus is powerful and He's incredible and He changes and He heals, but He has truth. And there's a Father and we have a generation that genuinely is struggling to understand it because of what they're told. They're judging. People judge me. People do. No, no, no. I don't stand here in judgment today. I stand here in truth of Jesus and His beautiful ability to heal and to redeem. And if you keep believing that two plus, 1 plus 1 equals 63, the ability to walk into His redemptive power is lost in deception. It's lost in deception. His ability to heal you is lost in deception. I was healed because this is what Jesus did to me. He come and said, Tim, you're deceived and you're lost. And he pulled me out. And praise God, my eyes were open to my deception that had ruled in my life. And it kept me bound and broken. And it brought an incredible change to who I am. Listen, generation struggles 
with this picture of Father God that we honour and we live in because we, we struggle with a God that could be a director and love us, not judge us. But secondly, struggle because they struggle to understand a Father God that genuinely loves them. Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12 says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when He corrects you. For the Lord corrects those that He loves. Listen, just as a father corrects a child whom he delights. That fear, that honour of God, that honour as a parent, as a father, is challenged in a generation where fathers are challenged. It is challenged in a generation where people see God through the light of a messed up, broken dad. Dr. James Dobson said this, a child identifies his parents with God whether or not the adults want that role. Most children see God the way they perceive their earthly fathers. Listen, can I speak to this today? Listen, I know there may be some band-aids that are a little bit wanting to be covered today and, and we don't want to deal with some things that are maybe a little bit painful in our lives. But I want to speak to a couple of different sides of this whole challenge because it is a challenge. It's a real challenge. In a generation where dads haven't been what they need to be and we try and see God, listen, we try and see God through that, that picture that we have of our Father. For example, you may come to pray and you say, Father God, and the instant you do, all you recognize is hurt and pain. You recognize somebody that's let you down. You recognize a dad that maybe said words to you that were completely contrary to what the Word of God could ever say to your life. And now your prayer life is shifted from the ability to really relate to that dad, that Father God that wants to love you and direct you and guide you. Dad, can you come up here? Listen, I am. I am blessed to have this man that has walked with me and guided me. And, and he's a godly man. And he's a wonderful man. He's not always perfect. Listen, there's been times when, I, there's times when, he, when he gave me a smack for things my brother did wrong. Oh, I can tell stories. And obviously that happened to me when I was like 12 and I still remember. So it was a good one, yeah. And it was still my brother's fault, I'm telling you. Listen, obviously, he told me that smack was for the ones he missed. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he missed a lot. But I have, a, I have an earthly father that when I pray and interact with God, is prayed through the picture of a dad who's loved me. I would still sit on my father's knee at the age of 47. I remember as a 20-year-old coming and sitting on my dad's knee and God's like, what are you doing? I'm like, my dad has always been my friend. Now, as, as adults, we're best friends. We talk about everything. You know, we, we talk about our situations, what we're going through. We talk about uh, ministry and marriage and life, and, and, and we have that relationship. I come to God through that, and it's been easy. Listen, I stand before you saying it's been easy. My, my issues of coming to God weren't the issues of coming through a dad that messed me up. It was just me messing me up in my stupid decision-making process. And listen, you may sit in the room with a wonderful father like this, and an idiot like me, that's all good. But you may sit in this room not having that and not have encountered that. And, and I want to speak to that today because that is a challenge. Now, again, I want to 
I want to speak, Dad. Sorry, you're going to stand there and stay there for a minute. You're all right to do that? Um, I, I want to speak at different angles, but let me first speak to some of the parents and the dads in the room. I know we've got young people here, and I'll, I'll speak to you in a minute. But let me speak to the dads. <clears throat> let me speak of our responsibility. Mark chapter 9 says, Whoever causes <clears throat> one of these little ones of mine who believe in me to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. What, what is Jesus trying to say here? Listen, this is what he's doing. He's putting a huge weight on what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a parent. Anyone can father a child by having a child come into being and existence, but it takes incredible power and grace and wisdom to become a father that can lead children well. And listen, your and my responsibility as parents in this room, and, and listen, mums, this, this is on you as well, you know that, but I just want to speak pretty clearly to the dads here because all the women tell me we need to have a secret men's business to address these things. I got told a hundred times last night that needs to happen. Here's our secret men's business. Leave me alone. <laughs> Listen, there's weight. But check out this weight. Did anyone notice that kids didn't come with an instruction booklet? My, my eldest son, Josh, can you come and stand over here for a second? This is my eldest son. I remember when he came out of the womb. Listen, I could hold him in the palm of my hand like this and talk to Joshua. Let me just try that today. It's not keen on that. It's not keen. I could hold him then in the palm of my hand. But I, I looked and checked. I never saw an instruction booklet there. I didn't see one. And the challenge of being a dad is this. We didn't have an instruction booklet. The closest instruction booklet I had was watching this man. But listen, you may walk into this room and you didn't have a man like this to look at. So now you have the, the, the child, no instruction booklet whatsoever, and you're trying to make this thing happen. Listen, there's weight attached to this whole deal because we're trying to, to lead young men and women and grow them and enlarge them and help them become all they want to be. But it's difficult. The closest thing we have is in this book right here that teaches us how to be parents. Ephesians chapter 6, 4 says, Now a word to your parents. Don't keep scolding and nagging your children to clean up their rooms. Oh, sorry, I added that. No, that's the nagging part, isn't it, Josh? High five. You want me to hold you now? <laughs> this room looks amazing at the moment, let me just add. There is four. <laughs> and carpet. Don't keep, don't keep scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with loving discipline. The Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. You know those incredible statements right there? Don't keep scolding and nagging your children. I can nag this son sometimes about cleaning up his room. So much so, he sent me a video recently. And in the video, it was a dad talking to daughters and dad talking to sons. And it was dad waking up the daughter and saying, Hey, sweetheart, 
uh, just letting you know that I've, I've already made waffles for you this morning. And I hope you have a wonderful day. I'm waiting for you in the car and I'll take you to school. And uh, don't worry about your algebra homework. I've already done it for you. This is awesome. And then dad's waking up the sun. Open the door. All right, kid, get out of bed now. And while you're at it, clean up your room. And I hope you've done your homework because you're going to get yourself to school today. And he's trying to tell me that's how I would talk to him compared to the girls. And uh, maybe, maybe you're correct. Listen, he says, don't nag. I understand nagging. Listen, as a parent, I want my kids to be perfect. I want them to be great. But there is a great challenge in the direction of our kids. He says, don't uh, make them angry and resentful. Listen, there's a, a picture in how we build our kids and have a relationship with them that they wouldn't have this resentful life and attitude Rather, bring them up in loving discipline the Lord himself, that the Lord himself approves. And Josh maybe had a few of those disciplines in his life. In fact, this, this boy is amazing, and he didn't have to get too much discipline. Uh, he's a wonderful, I have three incredible boys, and one of them maybe had a little bit more discipline than others. Now, I'll leave that to imagination who it was. Um, they're all in the room today, so I'll leave you to your imagination who it was. He said, with suggestions and godly advice, listen, listen, can I, can I grassroots this for a moment? Suggestions and godly advice. I want to live my son's life so his life's perfect, but I can't. I can guide, lead, suggest. I want to live my daughter's lives, but I can't. I can guide, lead, suggest, but they've got to make their decisions. Listen, the story of the prodigal son is this. It's twofold. It's a son and a father. The story of the prodigal son is, this prodigal son, I want to go. Dad says, that's not best, but go. And when he returned, when the prodigal son, which I was, returned, listen, the father met him looking afar off and embraced him and said, I told you so. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> I know some of us want to write that in our Bibles, but let's be clear, he didn't. It says he embraced. He loved and he accepted he killed the fatted calf and he celebrated. He didn't say, you're a rotten son. He didn't say, you're the worst. He didn't say, you don't deserve my love. He didn't say any of those things. He didn't say, hey, until you're better, you can't walk back into the house. He didn't say any of those things. He realized the son had left the mess and returned home. Beautiful. Listen, I am grateful that I left the mess. When I hadn't left the mess, dad, keep redirecting me. Saying the mess is wrong. He loved me, but I had to make my decisions. The worst thing about kids they're going to make their own decisions. The greatest thing about kid, kids is, listen, our role as fathers is to teach them as best as we can to make their own decisions and release them to that. I know that hurts. It hurts me to think about that. But it's a part of this journey of releasing. He says, make suggestions with godly advice. I've got to be clear. Our cultural advice isn't always godly advice. This is not for any particular culture. This is for all of our cultures. My culture today, Western culture, there is no godly advice. In Caucasian Western culture, all there is there is lies and deception. Godly culture needs to come and we need to direct our kids in godly culture. Let me just, can you stay in there for a little bit longer, Dad? Let me just come to the other side and speak to our younger people for a minute. Can I do that? Listen, as younger people, looking through the eyes of mess is difficult. Again, I, I have a son. 
and I'm grateful that, you know, he's, he's one of my best friends as well. We have fun together, we play together. Yes, I direct him and he hates it. You know the, you know the issue with, being, with having a stubborn child? That stubborn child is always a reflection of stubborn parents. I'm sorry. If you don't like your stubborn child, then you're looking in the mirror. Unfortunately for my blood children, the reflection is a double stubborn. Because Wendy's as stubborn as I am. But he's had this to look at. And he has always been great friends with his pop. From the day he could talk, he wanted to be around pop and hang with pop. And he's a wonderful young man, godly man, serving in the house of God, in love with the kingdom of God, walking with God, leading our youth. And listen, being a father in his own right to young men and and women in our youth ministry continually and outworking that. But some of us haven't had that. And listen, Dusu, can you come and join me up here, young lady? Listen, I understand the great challenge that that is to people in the kingdom of God when we come to God, we come to Christ without necessarily having that, that father. This, this young lady, thank you, thank you. He needed that. He was about to fall over. Listen, this, this young lady here walked into our church at the age of 14. You can sit down, Dad. Walked into our church at the age of 14. She had never physically met her biological father. She walked in here at the age of 14. I met her there, but at around 15, she came and sat at our house and she shared her story with me. I want to be honest, from that moment, my heart shifted and I have loved this girl like my own daughter. But I know her journey and I'm not talking about her. I have other daughters in this room that I know their journey has been the same and been challenging and been difficult of looking through the missing father to see a father listen I, I don't want to expose her journey fully today but I know the great challenge of of praying of times feeling like she's unloved at times even feeling like God can't love her and at times feeling like I couldn't love her at times pushing away my love and pushing away the ability to even accept you know she's stubborn too <laughs> dang not even the biology but I tell you the stubbornness is there 100% we had this conversation during the week, didn't we? Listen, I, 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 I get the challenge because I've walked with her for the last seven years. She turns 22 this year for the last seven years. I've walked that journey with her of trying to discover and understand through these eyes by also taking those eyes and putting them at the foot of the cross and leaving it there. Because she prayed through that when she first came to Christ. She prayed through not feeling loved. She prayed through not feeling like she was ever good enough. She prayed through that and we talked about that and we prayed about that and we, and we journeyed through that and we, we went along that journey together of doing that. And listen, I'm grateful that I've been able to be a father and love this girl and walk with her and, and sometimes spoil her and, and sometimes make my son feel like I love her more than him and that's not the truth and definitely, maybe, no, it's not the truth. So I know the challenge of that journey. I've watched many people grow through that but listen, it takes the reality of what Jesus teaches in Luke 14. He says, if you love father, mother, child, wife, husband, anything more than you love me, the kingdom of God you miss out on. 
what's he trying to say? He's not trying to say leave everybody behind. He's trying to say sometimes you have to leave those pictures that you've carried in your third dimensional world. You need to leave those there at the foot of the cross so that you can interact with Christ, not through that. That Dusu wouldn't interact with Christ through a father that left months before she was born. She'd interact with Christ through the picture of Jesus that she can see now through the cross. He would never leave me nor forsake me. He would never do that. Yes, she's had a dad that stood and do that with her. And maybe you haven't. And, and listen, I, 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 that is heartbreaking for me. But through that, you could come to the cross as she's had to do on multiple, multiple occasions and just leave it there. Just say it's now at the foot of the cross and I can interact with God knowing that His Father loves me. That He loves me. That He doesn't leave me. That He doesn't forsake me. That I can interact with Him in a whole fresh way. With whole fresh... I've watched that journey. I've watched a son have to grow through that. And listen, he, even though he has father and grandfather that loved him and walked with him, had to grow through that in his own self and discover Father God for himself. I've watched daughters do that, grow and discover. And the pain of that, listen, I know, I know the pain of that. These girls cried on my shoulders through the pain of that. And the pain that that obviously causes God is immense. But the cross is enough for it. The cross is enough for it. His grace is enough for it. His healing's enough for it. And I stand here today as I preach this message. We stand here trying to interact with a God and be happy in our own souls. But we can't even be happy with an ability to interact with a God who will always seem distant to us. Listen, at the foot of the cross today, He wants to bring you images. He wants to bring you pictures. Maybe you are here and Dad has been difficult to you. Maybe you'll hear Mum's been difficult. Maybe family life's been ugly and Young people in this room, you're trying to come to Jesus and you're trying to come to grace and it's been challenging. Maybe you're a dad in this room and you feel like you've utterly failed. And you're trying to come to God today and you're feeling like, I need that millstone hung around my neck. I want to be really clear that this morning, there is a picture of grace in this room to just touch people's hearts and to touch people's lives and to bring healing and bring deliverance here in this room. I love the music team, if they can just come right now. And bring healing and deliverance to our hearts and to our lives and to our souls here this morning. Listen, just close our eyes across the room. I believe there's grace here. Can you guys just stay? Sorry. I believe there's grace here this morning. Come Holy Spirit. There's grace here. There's grace here right now. Jesus, I thank you for the beauty of the cross. I thank you that in that cross you bear hurt, you bear pain, you bear challenge, you bear difficulty. You bear loss. You bear moments where the pictures of hurt, the words have been painful and the brokenness of what that looks like in our lives. My God, you bear it right now. Here in this room, Holy Spirit, you're here. You know, this morning as I spoke through some of these things, See, God's already begun a work in our lives and done a work in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com 
or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.